If you're a guest, I am David. We're glad you're here. Hope you know that whatever we got going on, you're always welcome to be a part of uh, of First Baptist Church. We're just glad to have you. My mama and her family, uh, a lot of my kin are buried in London, Texas. Clarify, not England. Uh, England has millions of people, and uh, London, Texas has hundreds of people. And uh, when you go to the cemetery to get to this, to get to London. No matter where you're coming from, you're taking some back roads, right? You're going to travel some back roads. Then you get to the cemetery, you got some real back roads you got to get to. And whenever you, I'm in a cemetery, and, and by what I do, I go to a lot of cemeteries. Uh, one of the things I notice, and as I, as I walk around that cemetery where I have a lot of family buried, is that there is an absolute finality to life. You know, there really is physical life. There's a finality. And in cemeteries are buried all types of people. There are good people buried, and you know there are bad people buried. You know that there's, there's a certain amount of evilness that's got buried in those cemeteries. And it's good to know that evil kind of is dead there. Uh, because like you, I struggle with the concept of evilness. I really do. I think all people, we struggle with evil. Uh, even if I'm a follower of Christ, and it's one of those things like, you know, I understand God, a lot of stuff, but I still sometimes struggle with that. And one of the things that helps me uh, in my relationship with God and just understanding evil is knowing that there was an end to evil. That at some point, evil, evil comes to an end. Uh, we're in a series entitled Backroads. Uh, last summer, you know, I was just looking through some Old Testament stuff, and I realized in the Old Testament, it's like a lot of those places in the Old Testament like backroads for just about any state. You travel a back road, and all of a sudden you come upon a hidden gem, something just really cool to see. In the Old Testament, you travel through those passages, and there are places you come, and you see this God speaking, God working. There are some really cool places there. And um, today we come to one of those in 2 Kings chapter 9. Uh, when we come to a place where we see that in the end, there is an end to evil. And I'm just going to say, in the end, there is an end to evil. And so, here we go, verse 30. When Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out the window. And as Jehu entered the city, she said, Is it well, Zimri, your master's murderer? And then he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? Who? And two or three officials looked down at him. And he said, Throw her down. So they threw her down. And some of her blood was sprinkled or really splattered on the wall and on the horses. And he trampled her underfoot. And when he came in, he ate and drank. And he said, See now to this cursed woman and bury her, for she is a king's daughter. And they went to bury her, but they found nothing more of her than the skull and the feet in the palms of her hands. Therefore, they returned and told him. And he said, This is the word of the Lord, which he spoke by his servant Elijah the Tishbite, saying, In the property of Jezreel, the dog shall eat the flesh of Jezebel. And the corpse of Jezebel will be as dung on the face of the field in the property of Jezreel. So they cannot even say, This is Jezebel. So in this passage today, when we come here, what I want you to see from the message is this. When God is ready, when he is ready, he will put an end to evil. And he will do it in a way that reveals that he is both just and holy. When God is ready, he deals with all evil. He puts it to an end, and all will know that he is holy and he is just. So we come to the passage today, and there's a couple things that uh, I'm going to share with you. And the first thing that I want you to see is the evilest woman that ever lived and died. And, you know, to, to have the title, the evilest woman ever, I don't know that it's the same mind to, to make that title. And there's plenty of women 
who are evil, but from the biblical perspective, there's none more evil than Jezebel. In fact, you know, to call someone Jezebel is a pretty tough thing, you know, and even, you know, you call them that. So you, you're, you're serious there. And I want you to see the story of Jezebel. And to understand the story of Jezebel, we actually have to go all the way back to Solomon. We talked about Solomon last week. And Solomon, you know, remember from last week, loved many wives. And when he loved those wives, he built on places of worship to the Baals, and his heart turned away from the Lord. And because of that, God brought judgment on Solomon and said, I'm going to rip the kingdom away from you. But because of David, who was faithful, I'm going to keep one tribe, and David will always have somebody in his family, as long as there's a uh, southern king of Judah, will always have someone who is, is king. But from the northern ten tribes, I'm taken from your hand. And so in seven, uh, excuse me, in 931, Solomon dies, and his son Rehoboam becomes king. And immediately, Jeroboam rebels and takes ten tribes and establishes what we call the northern kingdom, known as Israel, also sometimes known as Samaria. In the southern kingdom, there is one tribe, Judah, and then we call it the southern kingdom, Judah, and someone from the tribe of David reigned in there all the way to the land of Judah. And there was a brief period of time when actually a, grand, a daughter of Jezebel, Athaliah, kind of uh, usurped the throne, but there was still a king. He was just hidden. And so what happens now is that Jeroboam establishes the northern kingdom, and he's faced with immediate dilemma because here is Yahweh, the Lord, that has to be worshipped, but he has to be worshipped at the temple that Solomon built down in Jerusalem in the southern kingdom. And he doesn't want his people going down south to worship in Jerusalem. And so what he, what he does is he decides that he'll just set up two altars. And he sets up golden calves, one in the north and one in the south. And he tells the people of Israel, these are your gods, worship here. Now this is a horrific sin against God. I mean, this is breaking commandments left and right. And so because of that, God tells Jeroboam through a prophet, I'm going to tear this dynasty away from you. And in 885, a guy named Zimri comes and assassinates one of the descendants of Jeroboam called Elah, named Elah, and, and, and ends his dynasty of Jeroboam. Zimri's around for about a week. Then a guy named Omri kills him, and Omri ends up becoming king and establishes a dynasty from 885 to 841. Now, this is where it's important for us because this is where our story kind of resides. Now, not much is said about Omri, but this is what is said about him in Scripture, that he did more evil than any king that ever came before him. Now, imagine that. Imagine that the Bible declares, at this point in time, you're the evilest king around until your son, Ahab, takes the throne in, in uh, 874, right behind him. And when uh, he takes the throne right behind him in 874, then he kind of usurps his father. And what Ahab did is Ahab married a princess from the area of the Phoenicians, the Sidonians. Her name was Jezebel. Now, Jezebel was a fervent, radical worshiper of, of the Baals, of the Canaanite religion. So much so that she determined that she wanted to remove and eradicate completely the worship of the one true God, Yahweh, from the northern kingdom and instead totally worship the Canaanite God and goddesses in the religion we call Baalism. Now, this is a radical thing. 
And, and it's, it's a depiction of her absolute evil. And the, the stories that, uh, of the Jezebel, and, and she overlaps from 1 Kings 18 all the way to 2 Kings 9. It's not all about her, but she's kind of woven into the story. She was around for over 30 years. So for over 30 years, there's this evil woman trying to get rid of the worship of God. One of the great stories in Scripture occurs in 1 Kings 18, when the great prophet Elijah has this great contest on Mount Carmel with the prophets and the priests of Baal, see who truly is God, and the one true God prevails, and all the prophets of Baal are destroyed, all the priests of Baal are destroyed. And now Jezebel, at that point, wants to kill Elijah, you understand? And so you just see how wicked this woman is. Another key component in the story of Jezebel occurs in 1 Kings 21, when there's this guy named Naboth who owns the piece of property or vineyard next to the property of Ahab. And Ahab wanted it, but the king was still bound by the laws and couldn't take the property of Naboth. And so Jezebel, not wanting anything to stand in the way of her power and her husband's power, arranges for Naboth to be accused falsely of treason. He's killed, and then Ahab gets his property. So what you see with Jezebel is two important things that that convey her entire 30-year time around. On the one hand, or importantly, is that she wants to eradicate or eliminate the worship of Yahweh. And secondly, she will eliminate any person that in any way interferes with her plans of her husband or eventually her son's power. This is a woman of absolute evil, which brings us then to where we are in 2 Kings chapter 9, when we see that God puts an end to Jezebel and her evil. In chapter 9, we see a guy named Jehu. Now, towards the end of, of, of uh, Kings, 1 Kings, God tells the prophet Elijah, you're going to anoint a man named Haziel to be king of Aram Damascus. You're going to anoint Jehu to be king of the northern kingdom of Israel. And you're going to uh, anoint Elisha to take your place. Now, he gets the last part of that done. He anoints Elisha and passes on to Elisha the anointing of the other two. In chapter 9 begins with Jehu was a commander of the army going all the way back to Ahab Elisha anoints him king and says, destroy, according to the word of God, according to the word of God, you destroy the house of Ahab. In chapter 9, he kills the, the king of Israel, Jehoram, who is Ahab's son. Now, let me just say this. With, he kills Jehoram, and then he kills the king of uh, Israel, the southern kingdom, Judah as well, who's visiting Jehoram, his uncle, Isaiah. When you read Kings and Chronicles, there's a ton of names that just confuse you all over the place. I mean, there's two Jeroboams that are going to be king. There's Jehorahams, Jorams, Azariah, uh, Azariah. I mean, there's just crazy names, and you can't possibly remember them all. When I study kings and chronicles, I, I cheat. I have a chart with all the, all the kings in the order that they're there. I can't remember all that. I can't remember the names of my family. I don't know hardly any of you. I ain't remembering those kings. So don't get confused on all that. Don't be impressed that I'm telling you these names. For all you know, I'm making it up as I go along. Or there's a chart back there or something. Anyways, so he, he kills these guys. And so we pick up with Jehu at 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 30. Jezebel knows all that's happening. Jehu was on his way to Jezreel. And it says she puts on makeup. She makes up her face. And she fixes up her hair. Now, some of the old commentators says that she was going to try to do all this to seduce Jehu. But let me just say this. 
Jezebel's up there in age, and you don't care what you do to that house, it ain't going to look good when you get there to take over. So it ain't going to work. The reason she's doing all that is because she wants to put on the appearance of queenliness, of dignity, maybe to cut a deal with Jehu, but if nothing else, just remind everybody that she is the queen. When he gets there, she says, do you come in peace, or is it well with you, Zimri, the murderer of your master? Now, there's some irony in this, because Zimri killed the last king from the house of Jeroboam, and when Zimri killed Elah, it opened the door for Omri, Jezebel's father-in-law to become king. So there's some irony in that. She says, you come in peace. Is there a peace with you? And this is what Jehu does. And Jehu has been, you know, in the whole, Jehu has been there from the beginning. He's been serving, you know, of Ahab and his sons. He knows everything that's going on. He just looks up. There's two or three stories up there. And he says, is anybody up there with me? And a couple of the officials that says, stick their heads out. So much for loyalty. And they're like, we're with you. And then this gets great right at this point. He just says, throw her out. And they pick her up, and they just chunk her out the window. And then I visualize her tumbling through the air through a couple of stories. I add about five or six just to make the length of the fall even greater. And then it says that she goes splat up against the, the, the floor of the road, and the water splats up against uh, the, the wall. Some of the versions say sprinkle, but the idea is just splattering. So you just get this, this, this picture, and then the, wa- the blood gets on the horses. It irritates the horses, and so they just trample her right there. Can you picture all that in your mind? Because I'm right now, and I'm enjoying it, I've got to be honest. I mean, it's just, it's getting rid of all this stuff. Who says the Bible is boring? There's some good stuff in it. And so he does all this, and she's absolutely dead. So Jehu just decides to get something to eat. Uh, let's go get something to eat. This is not, I mean, he just callously goes in there. While he's eating, he remembers, not that she's the queen, because he's discounted that entirely, but that she was the daughter of a king. So he says, why don't you go bury her? When they go to bury her, there ain't nothing left of her. All the dogs ate her up. They got a skull. They got her palms. They got her feet. That is it. They come back and tell Jehu, and he says, oh, yeah, I remember way back in 1 Kings chapter 21, years and years ago, Elijah, the prophet of God, during the whole neighborhood thing, brought judgment against Ahab and Jezebel, and Elijah said, the dogs will eat your flesh, and no one will know who you are. And God kept his word, and that's exactly what happened. For 30 plus years, Jezebel's evil hung around. God had said at some point it's going to come to an end, and it did. And God took some time in doing it. But the holiness and the justice of God are upheld because God defeats evil, and he does so in a way that's just in proportion to its sinfulness. Ahab goes on, and you see in the 10th chapter, wipes out every family member connected with Ahab and Jezebel, and then wipes out all the worship of Baal. So that, at the end of all this, by 841, all that Jezebel had worked for was completely destroyed. She could not defeat the power of God. All of Baalism was, at that moment, destroyed from the northern kingdom. And all living relatives of Jezebel and Ahab were dead. And God prevails over evil. Some things we need to see that's important from this passage. One is that God gave the freedom, or God gave man freedom to rebel. You need to understand that. He gives us the freedom to rebel. Because without the freedom to rebel, there is no freedom to worship. 
If I can't tell God no, I can't tell God yes. And so that freedom exists. And with the freedom to rebel, inevitably comes the end result, which is evil. Evil is the end result of the freedom of rebellion. Because if you rebel long enough, evil, if you do away with what God says long enough and walk away from God long enough, evil comes. And evil, in essence, is a judgment on sin. You want to be sinful? Here's evil. But notice this also, that God will always demonstrate the foolishness of evil, of rebellion. You rebel and evil comes, but it's a foolish proposition because you can never rebel against God and get away with it. Jezebel's proof of that. For 30 years, she tried to wipe out the worship of Yahweh. And in the end, God wiped out Jezebel and everything about her, her legacy and her family. Notice this also. God directed the circumstances of Jezebel's death. This just wasn't by accident. You go all the way back to 1 Kings 21. This is what's going to happen. It took some time. And it took a little bit of time. But God, God dictates what happens to evil. Evil doesn't dictate what happens to God. Because here's the thing that we need to realize. Evil always is powerless against God. Evil is powerless against God. And that's something none of us can ever forget. In the end, there is always an end to evil. Which brings me to the second thing I want you to see in the message today. And that is, we must have confidence that God knows what he is doing. Some of you today may really be facing something in your life that you kind of would brand evil. I've been there. I mean, Debbie and I... You know, I've gone through difficult times in our life. I mean, you know, things beyond our control. And there was, a, there was a period of time when the only thing that I could tell you that I could describe what was happening, it was completely beyond anything we could do to control, was just evil. And, 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 and in that period of time, what I came to realize is that I'm either going to have confidence in God or I'm not. And there's a reason for me to have confidence in God because God knows what he's doing. So let me just... Let me just share this with you so I want you to understand some things from this passage and others. Not all sin is the same to God. It's not. You ever heard someone say, all sin is the same in the eyes of God? No, it's not. Where do we come up with that? It's not. I mean, some sin, categorically, is worse. There are some things that are worse. I mean, in this earthly standpoint, some sin is obviously worse. And we need to understand that. And that, that's, that's, Now, all sinners are the same in the eyes of God. We're all, we're all sinners without Jesus or going to hell. But even then, we would understand that, that for some, hell will be worse than others. I mean, I hope so. I hope hell is worse than Jezebel than just for the person who, who just casually ignores God. I mean, you know, I don't want anybody to go to hell. I'm not saying that. But I, I mean, I, I don't believe for a moment, you probably don't either, that hell's the same for everybody. I mean, think about this. David, David was a man after God's own heart. Every king was measured against David. I mean, David's one of the heroes of all heroes. And David took a man's wife and then killed that man. That's as low as you get. I mean, you can't get much lower as a human than to take a man's wife and kill his wife. And David paid for that. 
and repented for that. Solomon, Solomon, as far as we know, he had a lot of wives, but we don't know that he ever took another man's wife. And while he put some people to death justly, he didn't just cold blood and murder somebody. And yet God took the kingdom away from Solomon, not David, because Solomon built places of worship for foreign gods, and his, and gods that didn't exist, and his heart was not totally after Yahweh. And God said, that sin is worse than what David did. The results of it are far worse. New Testament, Peter denied Jesus three times. One of them, Luke tells us, the place where Caiaphas lived, and Ananias lived, you know, he, he's, he's the high priest. He's, Jesus is walking out of there, heading off to be tried by Pilate, and Peter denies him, and Jesus hears Peter, his disciple, his apostle, deny him. And Peter forgave Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, there's this guy named Ananias, his wife Sapphira. They had some land. They sold the land, gave money to the church. Now, we're all thankful for that. But they lied in the process. Said they gave all of it when they didn't. And that same Peter confronts them individually, and they drop dead. Because not all sin is the same in the eyes of God. There is sin and evil that is basically against God in denying the holiness of God. There is sin and evil that basically relies on the destruction of human life. Those sins fundamentally are worse. We should understand that. We live in a time where there is evil. Sometimes it seems like there's more and more evil all the time. We should always be against evil, by the way, and take a stand against evil. But understand, not all sin, not all evil, it's not the same to God. Some is worse, and we need to recognize that. And in doing so, recognize this, that evil cannot defeat God. It never has and never will. God is undefeated and unscored upon against evil. It tries. Jezebel tried. I mean, Jezebel came after God with everything she had. In the end, she went splat in the road up against the wall. Listen, why sometimes does God allow evil? We wonder that. Well, sometimes God allows evil, so it gives us time to repent against sin. In uh, the book of Acts, uh, there's this evil man who kills Christians whose name is Saul. We know him better as Paul because in the ninth chapter, he is converted. God gives Saul, Paul, a chance to repent. Paul goes on to become the most influential Christian Ever, obviously outside of Christ, the most influential Christian ever, and one of the two or three most influential men in the history of Western civilization. That experience of wickedness in his life never totally left him, though he was forgiven for it. Obviously, he one time wrote, I am the greatest of all sinners. I'm the least of all men. But God gave him time to repent. Sometimes God wants us to let evil go on so we can see how dangerous evil is. In the Old Testament, there's a guy named Pharaoh. And back last fall, I preached about Pharaoh some. And Pharaoh thought himself a god and rebelled against the one true God. And ten times God called Pharaoh to repent. And ten times he said, no, 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 until God had enough. But in the story of Pharaoh, it impacts other people because they see the danger of that evil. In fact, later on, I, Rahab, the story of Rahab, I preached on that the first Sunday in January. One of the reasons Rahab turned towards Yahweh, the worship of God, was because she knew that the people of God had defeated the Egyptians and that Pharaoh was dead. In the New Testament, Pharaoh is mentioned as a reminder of the hardness of man's heart against God. 
Sometimes God lets evil around. So evil reminds us of how dangerous evil and sin are. And the truth is, evil ultimately gives way to glorifying God. And Jezebel dies. You know, earlier on, when uh, her husband was still a king, and, and in 1 Kings 18, and the prophet of God, Elijah, in one of the great scenes of all of Scripture, comes across these 400 plus prophets of Baal, and God proves himself God, and all the prophets of Baal are destroyed, and the people worship, and there's revival in celebrating the worship of God. Here in this passage, now, when Jezebel dies, now, what I'm about to tell you is not in the Bible, okay? What I'm about to tell you. Is, is something that I'm taking liberties with as a creative and imaginative pastor, right? I'm taking, and this, don't say this is in the scripture, it's not, but you heard it from me. You want to quote me, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with, with that. Here's the thing. Don't you know that when Jezebel died, the people of Israel were dancing in the streets, celebrating that evil was dead? All those prophets of Baal, they were all killed and wiped out. When the entire household of Ahab was gone, God was glorified because he said, all of this is going to happen. Evil is going to come to an end. Never forget, the evil is a reminder that we must put our trust in God. You see, Jezebel thought she was going to wipe out God. And everybody that took sides with Jezebel lost. You never take on God and when, ever. The best thing to do at every point in your life is to put your trust with God and trust that God is in control of all that happens. You realize that throughout these stories, if you go all the way back to 1 Kings, there were always people that God was protecting who were worshipers of Yahweh. You go back to 1 Kings 18. The servant of Ahab, Obadiah, when he encounters Elijah, says, Elijah, I have hidden some of the prophets of God. Even when Jezebel was trying to kill prophets and priests, there were people being protected by God. Elijah, feeling sorry for himself, says, God, I'm the only one left. And God said, no, man, I got 7,000 more people. Don't you think for a moment you're the only one left? Jezebel spent her entire time trying to kill Elijah, and she could never kill him. God just took him to heaven. She spent her time trying to kill Elisha. She could never kill him. Because those who oppose God will always lose, and we must ultimately realize that we have to put our trust in God. Which brings me to this, and I'm going to fast forward then to the New Testament time, because ultimately that's what we must look at life through the lens of the New Testament. So here's the thing about evil. The death and resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate evidence, the ultimate evidence that God defeats evil and his holiness and justice are upheld. So trust Jesus. On the cross, it looked like evil won. Take the lines from Adam McLean's song, I saw Satan dancing with delight. It looked like Jesus was dead. I mean, evil had won because Christ was on that cross. I mean, he was dead. Caiaphas, the high priest of the Jews, his evil had prevailed. Pilate, the Roman Gentile governor, his evil looks like it had prevailed on that Friday. But kind of like the song says, Sunday was coming. And on Sunday, God raised Jesus from the dead. And when he did, evil was completely and totally defeated 
for all eternity. Now we say, but evil's still around. Yeah, it is for a little while. It's still defeated, much like back in 1 Kings 21, when God said, Jezebel, you're going to die, and the dogs will eat your flesh. In about 20 years, she kept on living, till one day God had enough, and Jezebel died, and the dogs ate her flesh. See, at some point, God says enough. There was an end to evil, and God always wins out. What you and I got to understand is we need to be with God when evil is overcome. We need to trust Jesus. You ever watch those old movies? When I say old movies, I don't mean ones made in the 70s. That's not old, okay? And clarify. Those are classic. The music from the 70s, classic. The movies from the 70s, classic. The best of all of that comes from the 70s. But the old movies go back to the 50s, all right? In the 40s. And you ever notice, like, when those movies are over, it's like they ran out of money, okay? You're like, the, the bad guy's killed, or the, the guy kisses the girl, and then it just pops up, the end. Like, the end, we're out of cash, we got nothing left to say. It's over. When you come to 2 Kings 9, in Jezebel's life, it just says, the end. It's over. God wins. In the end, there is an end to evil. Some of you in your life right now I know are struggling. There's something happening in your life and it's probably an evilness. You're not evil, but evil's coming upon you. And you don't know what to do. And I can't tell you how it's going to turn out. And I can't tell you when it will end. All I can tell you is this. In the midst of that struggle, you better turn to God. And you better trust Jesus. Because when God decides, he'll put an end to it. I don't know when it will be. Don't know how he will do it. But God will always speak victorious over evil. Trust God in Christ. Some of you have people that you love or people that are friends of yours and they're struggling with evil. There is an evilness coming upon them or maybe there's an evilness tempting them in their life or maybe they're being drawn to a darkness and you know that. And all I can tell you is I don't know how it will end or when or where, but God will eventually end it. Pray for the one you love. Pray that God will deliver them, just as Christ prayed from evil. Some of you are not followers of Jesus, and though I've not really preached that kind of a message, I did remind you that you need to give your life to Christ. So I encourage you today to trust Jesus to be your Savior. If you've never trusted Christ, right now you have the opportunity to give your life to Him. So I I, I can't tell you what you need to do. I really don't know. But what I know is this. In the end, there is an end to evil. So why don't you trust God? So Father, we rejoice and we praise you that you put an end to all that rebellion. And we rejoice and we praise you that even though we are rebellious, that we can find forgiveness through Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. And we can come to Christ and experience the power of evil being defeated. There are some, Lord, who are facing that evil now. I pray that you would work in their heart. And they would turn to you and trust you completely to deliver them from that evil. There are some, Father, who need to give their life to Christ. So I I pray that they would come and trust you today, even right now as we speak. 
to trust Jesus to be their Savior. There is an evilness in this world, and it seems to grow greater all the time. But God, we can have confidence. When you're ready, you will end it. And we want to be on your side when you do that. We want to glorify you and praise you. Because in the end, we know there is an end to evil. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? If you need to come to the front, you come. We'll greet you.